You're listening to the ESP, the European Skeptics Podcast, an independent weekly show set out to bring you news, interesting topics and interviews with people mostly from Europe, building bridges and breaking down language barriers to show the world how active and awesome the skeptical movement is in the region. This is episode 263. I'm your host, Andras Pinter, and joining me for the show are my co-hosts, Annika Harrison and Pontus Böckmann. Sziasztok! Hello! Hey san, hey san! Right! Good. How are you guys? Good. <laughs> I don't know. Upside down, inside out. Bit frustrated upside with the world. Down. Are, you, are you inside out? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. <laughs> that sounds terrible. <laughs> we see something very gory here right now, dear the audience. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. But more on that later, I think. <laughs> okay, so uh, hope no probing will be involved in your recovery or anything. <laughs> the only probing that has happened is going on on Mars. Isn't that right, uh, Anders? Yeah, that is. It wasn't that amazing. Did you watch the landing? Yeah, we did. Wow, I got goosebumps. Yeah, I've seen the, the film a couple of times afterwards. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't follow it live, actually. But we, we did. We had troubles actually watching it because somebody like just when the countdown started decided to have a meltdown <laughs> so we were just right. frantically carrying the baby around while trying to watch it oh i thought it was scotty I, I, yeah, okay. yeah scotty had the meltdown of course right he hates it when it gets like that <laughs> yes <laughs> no but we, we watched it and it was really exciting <laughs> right yeah yeah uh, there's this uh buddy of mine he posted exactly the same thing under my post on facebook about it that uh well I, I missed it because I was telling a bedside story at the very moment that it happened. So, <laughs> so much for being there in, in spirit. Yeah, spirit, you know, spirit, opportunity. <laughs> perseverance. Now, perseverance and ingenuity as well. That is the very first helicopter on a different planet. It's so cool. <laughs> sent from Earth. This is a crazy idea. Absolutely amazing. And it has now made contact. So it is re reacting to signals from the control center it's amazing and uh, well it was all over the news and i was watching it live as live as we could obviously because it all happened a bit more than 11 minutes after the actual happenings yeah <laughs> so that's one thing to bear in mind but still it was amazing i was brought to tears when it when it all happened i know i'm overly emotional about things like this but <laughs> but it just amazes me how when clever smart people with proper resources they come together and they work on something they can do it mm. and we see a lot of examples lately so look at what's going on with the covid-19 vaccinations that's all science happening as it should mm. and uh, don't forget there are three current missions on mars at the moment yeah the emirates mars mission also known as hope uh, the tianwen one and the Mars 2020, which is perseverance and ingenuity. So they are absolutely fine. And the science is just about to start there. Don't forget, that's a freaking geology lab that's rolling <laughs> on the surface of Mars. Yeah, and what, what we also have to keep in mind is that they had to prepare the launch during the pandemic. So yeah. they, they showed a bit of that in the live stream that they had like, yeah, some of them could still come in, but the other had to, others had to work from home or like with masks and distance. And yeah. I was just like, wow, that's even like harder than you would imagine. Like it's, it's rocket science, yeah. but even harder. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is rocket science, people. And, and, and uh, what amazes me as well is how they are using this opportunity. I mean, not opportunity, but... Uh, perseverance <laughs> but there is a proof of concept that is being done in the hope that uh, once it will be able to be used for manned missions it's a technology the key component of which is reducing oxygen from the carbon dioxide of the martian atmosphere <laughs> so that is to, to try it out so that it can be used when we are already preparing for manned missions and the other thing is that perseverance will collect rock samples that will be stored somewhere. It will drop it somewhere at a safe location on Mars. I don't know what constitutes a safe, safe lo location on the surface of Mars, though. <laughs> Never mind. But it will drop it somewhere. And the next mission, a future joint mission with the European Space Agency, will be responsible for returning those samples to Earth for further analysis. That is just... Mind-blowing! Yeah. 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 Speaking of the European Space Agency, I did mention last time 
that ESA, uh, which is the European Space Agency, is recruiting astronauts. And I did check <laughs> their criteria for... Okay. Being a, a podcaster, was that a merit or something that they... <laughs> I, I don't know. I'm really hoping for that to be the case. Yeah. <laughs> Otherwise, I'm completely useless for them. <laughs> and they say that the candidates should be knowledgeable in scientific disciplines with a university degree in physics, biology, chemistry, mathematics, engineering, or medicine. Well, I almost do have a biology degree... But I don't. So, uh, <laughs> unfortunately, I'm disqualified right at the start. Well, back to university with you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, I won't be able to do it until the deadline, which is... Uh, they will open the, the applications on March the 31st of this year. And I think they will be open for about eight weeks. So, unless I manage to buy a degree in eight weeks, I... <laughs> I've heard that that's what you do in, in Hungary. Wasn't there a, a guy that just bought... Yeah, some people. Yeah. Or or plagiarized. That's uh, that's even better. We we used to have a um, president who turned out to have uh, plagiarized his uh, doctoral thesis. <laughs> but... <laughs> <laughs> I can tell you a joke about that that I, that I read on Facebook and that is, I invented a new word, plagiarism. Oh, that's good. <laughs> Very good. That's oh, a good one. boy, don't mention Facebook to me. I have a personal <laughs> war with Facebook, or we, the three of us actually have, because you may, you may have heard that there is an ongoing war between Facebook and Australia. So the, this famous Facebook Australia ban, which means you cannot uh, share any news from Australia, it's more complicated than that. But the reason I bring it up is that our website, our website, mind you, that is called the European Skeptics Podcast, has been classified as Australian news by Facebook for no good reason at all. So that means... Go home, Facebook, you're drunk. We <laughs> exactly. We cannot at the moment share any links from our website to to Facebook. It's ridiculous. Uh, if you try, you get this, this um, error message saying this post cannot be shared. So this podcast cannot be shared at the moment. <laughs> We're still there. We're still producing. We still doesn't... We live m almost exactly on the opposite side of the globe. <laughs> Much. Uh, from Australia. It couldn't be further away. <laughs> but still, uh, we are now classified as Australian news. I, I guess being classified as a news source is a compliment in some way. So, uh, but yeah, yeah, yeah. We should be on it. Yeah. Ah, come on. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, yeah. I mean, like European skeptics podcast. It sounds very Australian to me. It, it, yeah, it, it does. It does. It's sort it? of a hint in the name, isn't there? <laughs> yeah. Stupid Facebook. <laughs> Couldn't it be because we we are uh, friends with Richard Saunders? Yes, I, I, we are <laughs> friends with Richard Saunders, but I haven't told anybody about that. At least not Facebook. But, uh, you know, they do know that. Br bringing up uh, uh, Richard and, and Australia, there's good news from Australia as well. I, I must say they're, uh, they are doing some good things down under. Mm -hmm. <laughs> If you follow the Skeptic Zone, which is, of course, Richard Saunders' podcast. What you should do, yes. Uh, you should, you should, yes. Uh, you should follow us as well, but also that. <laughs> <laughs> I think that former is not that big of a problem as long as you're listening to us right now so <laughs> right okay we're not okay the okay good 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 not following us <laughs> <laughs> but if you're following uh, skeptic zone the australian podcast for science and reason uh, you may have enjoyed the logical fallacies segment that michelle bickersma has done over the last year uh -huh. together with richard um, so it's a short little segment maybe four minutes or so on on almost every show outlining logical fallacies what they are how to recognize them and how to avoid them etc so what they've done now what richard has done is collected all 40 of them now and uh, released them as a separate stream on youtube or not a stream a separate uh, uh, video on on youtube so you can go there and listen only to the logical fallacies if you want to and each uh, The page has, uh, since it's video, you can see exactly which timing each of the logical fallacies have if you want to to skip and just listen to one or a few of them. So, yeah, very good listen. And you will find them at tinyurl.com slash logical zone. Mm -hmm. We will put that link in the show notes, of course. Cool. Very cool. <laughs> All right. Well done. Shall we crack on with the show? Yes. We've got a, quite a packed show for, for, for our listeners, so... Uh, I think so. Yeah, why don't we move on to our first segment, which is, as usual, 
finding out what happened this week in skepticism. Yeah, and this week I actually had a lot of choice on what to what to choose. And <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> for example, the book printing was reinvented by Johannes Gutenberg. But did you say reinvented? Yeah, because um, well, we usually say invented, but but in reality, but let's let's not uh, focus on that too much. I might do that next <laughs> <Okay>. year, <laughs> this week. <laughs> Tune back next year, week that. eight of twenty twenty two. After the commercial break. Yeah, so... (laughs) (laughs) No, but um, what I eventually decided on was Dolly the Clone Sheep. Because Dolly the uh, Clone Sheep was introduced to the public on the 22nd of February 1997. Mm -hmm. And for those who don't know her, she was a clone. Duh. Was cloned in 1996 and born on the 5th of July 1996. She died on the 14th of February 2003, so pretty early for a sheep. She's can be called the world's most famous sheep, and the cell that the nucleus that was used to clone her was from a memory gland from another sheep, and that's pretty much why they call her called her Dolly because they thought of Dolly Parton hmm, and oops. her um, memory glands, so to say. <laughs> uh, okay, so this was before Me Too, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Um, Dolly had three mothers Um, one gave the egg one gave the DNA and one carried the embryo which is um, pretty cool if you think about it Mm -hmm. and she was the first clone from an adult mammal she had like she died early for a sheep and first they thought it was because she had very short telomeres which could have been because she was cloned but there are clones of Dolly's mom still alive and well and much older than her. So it was probably just a coincidence. And what happened after that is that, for example, in uh, 17, a macaque monkey was cloned and the CRISPR and Cas9 methods hold even more opportunities for, for cloning and gene editing. Yeah. Dolly was the scientific breakthrough of 97 and cloning nowadays is still a huge topic, especially ethically with with human beings, if you think about it. Uh Uh And gene editing is is also a huge topic and not only for the general public, but also for skeptics, um, especially when it comes to gene food and um, regulations in the EU regarding that. And yeah, so that's why I decided on Dolly, because she's still very relevant mm-hmm. in uh, in our days today and right yeah very exciting but also probably yeah signs that can go wrong ethically if if you're not careful <laughs> yeah but but it generated a lot of uh, conspiracy theories as well yes I mean, in terms of uh, how this is the first step towards the government's first step towards uh, preparing preparations for you know, human clonings and all that stuff so mm. back then it was the media was was very loud of of those yeah. silly ideas and you know where uh, she is currently uh, i think she was taxidermied wasn't she taxidermied yeah, yeah. and she's uh, she's in the national museum of scotland mm. in edinburgh hmm. so that is a museum that i recommend everyone to see anyway but it's quite an experience to to see her on display. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's still like, um, as far as I know, it's pretty easy to make clones that like out of an embryo mm-hmm. because you pretty much just have to divide two stem cells and then they they are twins, so to say, like artificial twins, right. if they're already dividing. But I think for like clones that you make out of an adult human, it's probably like it could probably be done. Um, maybe was already done which would be another conspiracy probably (laughs) theory yeah but i feel like it's it's pretty exciting but also pretty scary in a way yeah Mm. yeah or would you would you guys like to be cloned (laughs) no i don't know i think the world has had enough of me already so i don't think (laughs) i will insist on that (laughs) ponte square (laughs) exactly my sentiment about myself (laughs) yeah yeah yeah. yeah. enough is enough yeah (laughs) They can't handle my gorgeousness. <laughs> That's yeah. exactly what I was thinking. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the only thing that I really don't understand is why didn't they... So it was basically a project in Scotland and they should have gone for the Scottish blackface instead of just a regular domestic sheep. <laughs> Do you know that? You know that yeah, it's yeah. A really special looking breed of sheep in Scotland. Yeah. 
was I, I had to compete with them for the attention of some of my uh, my travelers. <laughs> okay. <laughs> the, the couple that was sitting behind me on the coach, whenever they saw a blackface, of which there are a lot <laughs> on the Scottish Islands, they burst out screaming, like, in excitement. Uh. <laughs> <And> then, <laughs> look, look, a blackface. <laughs> and, yeah, no matter what I was talking about, they got distracted, and I got distracted as a result as well. So, <laughs> nice memories. <laughs> okay, thank you very much, Onika. Thank you. And we are moving on to finding out what does Pontus have to poke the Pope for this week? Yes, well, actually, Annika, I could have given you yet another This Week in Skepticism today, mm. uh, because on the 21st of February 2001, Frankie, was, or rather Jorge Bergoglio, was uh, appointed cardinal by John Paul II. So uh, he has been, uh, well, he became a cardinal 20 years ago. And then, of course, uh, in in uh, 2013, he became the Pope, and now he is the, that. Hmm. He's that. He is yes, that. He's, now yes. he's that. <laughs> so, unless you've missed all the other episodes we've done, <laughs> you, you know that Frankie is now the Pope. Uh, he is no spring chicken anymore. He's, he turned 84 <laughs> in December last year. So, no wonder that sometimes he feels a little bit uh, past his due date. Uh, at least when it comes to his views and his um, religion. Still, having said all that, this week I will admit that for an old Catholic man, and for a Pope especially, he has now made a few progressive uh, appointments. So PPP, as we know it, Pontus Pokes the Pope, this week is almost Pontus Praising the Pope. Ooh. <gasps> How about that? That's shocking. Quite new development here. The first appointment I'd like to mention is that of Italian magistrate Katia Sumaria, and she is to be promoter of the appeals court of the Vatican. So what is that? It's a position that has been compared to being district attorney for in the US, and her job now is to be chief prosecutor when a conviction comes up for appeal. And that is the first time a woman has been appointed to that position in the Vatican. So, well... That's progress. Mm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. He also made another appointment, almost, I think, maybe on the same day or the day after. He appointed Sister Natalie Beckart, I think that's how it's pronounced, as one out of two undersecretaries uh, for the Synod of Bishops, which is also first. And why it is uh, important is that it will be the first time ever a, a woman will have the power to vote in a bishop's synod so that's why it's historical mm -hmm. women have been tolerated a little bit <laughs> sort of in the on the side before but they've never <laughs> had positions where they will be able to vote on the outcome of a synod so for being the bloody pope that's pretty uh, progressive <laughs> and I, I you know as i understand and everybody understands changing these things in the Catholic Church isn't easy. On the other hand, this is a rather low bar to pass. <laughs> and most of the rest of the world realized a long time ago that women should be able to vote and take part in society. So well done, Frankie, I guess. But couldn't you move a little bit faster, please? <laughs> Ah, uh, praising him but diminishing his results. Oh, Pontus. <laughs> well, I, yeah, you know. <laughs> so Pontus is neutral to the Pope. Yeah, you're not very generous with him. <laughs> wow. Okay. Well, I, no, but again, it is a big thing because the Pope is sort of all-powerful over there, but there are a lot of other old farts who's opinions he will have to to balance a little bit so he cannot transform the the vatican in one day uh, to to something new progressive totally equal but uh, he's trying at least so i'll give him that mm -hmm. okay <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, I don't think benedict would ever have done this okay so so um well, occasionally it's good to give him a little bit of praise or at least something that resembles that. <laughs> well, you ha I have to be fair as well. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's all try that. Thank you very much, Pontus. And we are moving on to discussing what the news are. Well, lots of things happening in Israel. 
right, at the moment on the COVID-19 front. They are leading the world with already most of the country has been given the first jab of the COVID-19 vaccine, which is the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine, actually. So... This is a massive amount of data that uh, even Pfizer can work with. So The Lancet published the other day an opinion piece that was based on preliminary data that was pulled from this uh, pool of information. A research was conducted on more than 7,000 healthcare workers who were vaccinated. And uh, the results showed a close to 85% reduction of symptomatic COVID-19 cases between two weeks and four weeks after the vaccination took place. So that is quite promising. However, those on the the media and on the online uh, world discussing this are putting a question mark next to the actual results saying that they're not claiming that it's not it's not as it doesn't look as good but we have to be very cautious when we we analyze the data and we evaluate these results however israeli authorities not too long ago said that the pfizer biontech shot was 99% effective at preventing death from the virus which is quite good so in the first case we are talking about asymptomatic cases and on the other hand we are talking about dying from the virus so this is quite an amazing thing if it is even close to true however there are other results from other parts of the world where the results are coming in about whether it can stop the covid19 pandemic on its tracks by decreasing transmission as well and it looks like there is a chance that it can do that so we are still waiting for the confirmation on that uh, from, from several fronts, but it looks like it's doing a pretty good job at that as well. What it doesn't do and a good enough job at is preventing the, the illness in the case of uh, getting infected with the new strains. So some of the new strains, of which there are plenty already circulating, yeah, a couple of new ones have popped up. So unfortunately, that looks a bit less promising but uh, the good thing about the Pfizer vaccine is that I'm not saying it's an easy job but basically all you have to do is modify the genetic material that is being transferred into the cells by this uh, vaccine so well we'll see uh, what the developments will be but thankfully the vaccinations are going quite well for some countries the usual um, logistical issues are being dealt with so unfortunately not in my country (laughs) (laughs) even though there is the russian vaccine and the sinopharm the chinese vaccine as well available uh, the chinese vaccine take up is not very good because people don't trust the Chinese vaccine. And uh, the communication, the, the central communication is, is a bit of a disaster in that regard. So they bought a lot of jabs that they cannot use because no one wants to take them. So <laughs> good job. <laughs> but they should give them away then to uh, other places. I mean, I, I don't know how well documented the, the Chinese uh, vaccine is, but, but that's the issue. Yeah. 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 Right. Yeah. But it seems still. Uh, yeah. Okay. Have I told you that uh, my dad wanted to know, wanted to check out the other day if he was already eligible for his shot because he registered early enough among the first ones yeah and uh, he will be 70 this year so uh mm-hmm. so he's in the risk group mm-hmm. and um that was last week and the gp said that uh, they had received a list of 200 people to vaccinate and it was matched with two vials of vaccines what <laughs> <laughs> So, a list of 200 names to vaccinate, okay. and the delivery of they had actual to, uh... vaccines was two vials. <laughs> All right, okay, so that's homeopathic vaccination, then you, you <laughs> well. dilute it a lot. So, <laughs> this is how well we're doing in terms of uh, distributing the, right. the vaccine. But you do squeeze out four or five uh, doses out of each vial, don't you? I don't know, because that's the, that's the Russian vaccine that we're talking about. Ah, okay, mm. so it's different from different vaccines, of course. Yeah, yeah. yeah okay. So that was a no then. No. <laughs> he didn't get vaccinated. <laughs> yeah. So I have no hope 
of of getting vaccinated at all all right at least not this year yeah me too like i'm pretty sure i i won't get vaccinated either this year um not because like of where i am or so <laughs> it's more that apparently there's not really a permission for breastfeeding women to get the vaccine uh-huh. because uh, they didn't test that they couldn't test that right okay mm-hmm. yeah. yeah yeah of course mm-hmm. because like nobody ethically says like yeah let's test it on of course <laughs> on no they don't do- <laughs> testing on me and my baby Woo! <laughs> all right well, and the, but there's so, yeah. but that's the reason. There's no real indication that it should be dangerous. It's just that it hasn't been tested. Yeah, yeah. Right. exactly. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. But that's why also no no doctor would be like, hey, yeah, I'll take the responsibility. <laughs> no, of course. Uh, so yeah, going back a little bit to my earlier topic of uh, the first jab looking very effective in reducing symptoms or reducing the illness and even probably the spread, that some governments are suggesting postponing the second jab because of the high efficiency rates of the first one. So they say that it's probably better to go through the whole population or as many people as we can instead of vaccinating people twice. I mean, it's probably a valid argument, but uh, it could end up not being as effective in the long run, which could have the opposite effect. And we definitely don't want that. So mm. we need properly immunized people in society in order to, to get to the end of this. Right. Yeah, especially like the more people get vaccinated, the better like I don't get an infection or like everybody who can't get the uh, vaccine right now because we then have maybe have herd immunity. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, let's go for that. All right. The the next item here is an I told you so story. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> Sometimes I feel that's permitted, especially if you feel... A little alone in your position, which I sometimes do. Uh, and it's about excess deaths in Sweden and COVID. So uh, sorry if I br- brought this up before, but there's some news. Uh-huh. Uh, going back to my r- rant of last week, no one could have missed by now that although Sweden has been hit hard by COVID, it is far from the outlier in Europe that many people will try to make out. Uh-huh. A Swedish historian... So not a doctor, uh, not an expert on virus, etc., but a a Swedish historian has looked into the statistics of excess deaths in Europe, comparing each country with each other and looking on 2020 compared to the previous four years. And uh, the results seem to support my hypothesis that Sweden's seemingly bad track record in the in the pandemic to a large extent is an artifact of poor data so this guy whose name is Frederick Charpentier Jungquist has as i said compared 2020 with the average of the previous four years uh, when it comes to excess deaths and how many more people really died in 2020 do you want to guess what country or countries were the worst in Europe. Mm. Hmm. The first one you may not think of, but the others are not... Italy? Italy is on num- uh, place number five, yes. Mm-hmm. 18... No, sorry, 17% higher excess death uh, compared to the previous four years. Uh, Spain did very badly, I believe. Yes, Spain is on uh, second place. Liechtenstein is number one. You wouldn't probably have... Bleh. Oh, wow, yeah. Ooh, okay. Uh, probably because they have so little uh, people there. <laughs> uh, yeah, now even fewer, apparently. And they are all old. <laughs> yeah, all right. So 21% excess death oh, that's, in, that's, in Liechtenstein that's 2020. Wow. So let's take them in order. So Liechtenstein is number one. Then it's Spain, Poland, Slovenia, Italy, Belgium, Czech Republic, Bulgaria, the UK, Switzerland, Malta... Lithuania, the Netherlands, Romania, Austria, Portugal, Slovakia, Luxembourg, France, Cyprus, Croatia, Hungary, and on place number 23, Sweden. And Germany is not even on there? Uh, Germany is 25, number 25. After (laughs) Sweden, it's Greece and Germany. And after that... Those who had made it very well are the Nordic countries, if you extend that to include Estonia, Latvia, because uh, it's Finland, Iceland, uh, Denmark, Mm. right? Mm. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. So so, You just managed to offend uh, the Estonians. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> because they want to be considered a Nordic country. Yeah, yeah well, they, they ha- also have a, a, a Swedish minority uh, over there okay. from way back when. <laughs> yeah. 
regardless, regardless, it, it seems to be uh, that if you look at excess deaths, and I think it is the best way of looking at it, because then you don't you get rid of all the confounding factors like how do we classify a COVID death? A COVID death is it dying from COVID, dying with COVID, mm-hmm. dying after having had COVID and then recovered and then dying? You know, you you don't have to make all of that distinction. You just look how many people would you expect die in the country and this is of course in proportion to the population and what was the case for the previous four years and what it was the case for 2020 in that way sweden is uh, on the 23rd place and they have uh, we have uh, 7.6 percent excess deaths which should be compared with spain which was 19 and poland 19 Slovenia 18 and Italy 17. So, um, yeah. All right. Yeah. Told you so. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) No, I don't want to make light of this because having an excess death of of almost 8% is bad. It is. Yeah. And I'm not trying to make light of the situation in Sweden. Uh, It is bad. It, It could have probably been much better. I think there were mistakes made, but it's not as that catastrophic compared to rest of Europe, as people would like you to think. Mm. Yeah, but I think that's also um, what they said in this um, study where they, they looked at um, how well countries were with, like they had female leaders, do you remember? Mm-hmm. Right. There they said like it's that a lot of European countries are not that easy to compare anyways. <laughs> no. Mm-hmm. So it could be that like Sweden's strategy only worked okay-ish in Sweden. And if we would have done that in Germany, then we would have had excess deaths uh, higher than Italy or right. whatever. Like we, we don't know. And the other thing is that when we're talking about excess deaths, we have no clue of what the reason for those excess deaths is. No. I mean, no. we assume that it's COVID-19, but there are those, and some even argue that it might not be necessarily COVID-19, but it could be because of a lot of people not getting medical attention right. yeah. early enough and dying of other causes that could have been dealt with had it not been for COVID-19. Yeah. Mm. And the lockdown and the situation with, uh, with the, the, the medical system being overwhelmed. And yeah. this is exactly why the lockdown had to happen because overwhelming the medical system results in a lot of people not getting the care that they need yeah yeah so we don't know we can compare the the, the excess death to the covid-19 related deaths mm. but that's a different kind of statistic whether you can match the two or how well you can match the two yeah and i mean right? it would still be related to the pandemic but they yes. wouldn't have had yes. covid-19 yes. Yes. not necessarily yes, right. yes. Yes. Yeah, it's very. Uh, there's a lot of complicated factors here. You could you have people who were afraid to go to to the hospital, so mm-hmm. they died from from uh, heart attacks or, or something that they yeah. could maybe have been saved if they were quicker to go to the hospital, but they didn't dare because they were read, uh, afraid of getting uh, uh, COVID. So there's a lot of factors there. On the other hand, we've had almost no flu. Exactly. Of the yeah. normal flu. Yeah. So, yeah. so probably saved people that way. So yeah. I don't know. Yeah. And that's probably something that we can believe or that we can know. <laughs> and there's a study that actually says that everyone believes in at least one conspiracy theory. And I found that really interesting. Um, there's a sociologist, Asbjörn or Asbjörn. I don't really know. Uh, <laughs> Gerendal from uh, the Norwegian University of Science. And he says that everyone believes in at least one conspiracy theory. For example, when a topic is very emotional or when it's targeting your own identity, then it's very easy to to fall into a conspiracy. They also looked at traits, like character traits that make it more likely that somebody is a conspiracy believer. And they found out that, that, that no one trait can mark someone as a conspiracy believer, but Um, Lots of small changes will make somebody a conspiracy believer. For example, um, schizotypal personality traits or social dominance orientation. For example, if you like hierarchy more than you like equality, then you're more likely to believe in conspiracies, funnily enough. (laughs) Yeah, and I actually like I, I reflected that and looked at myself and I was like, yeah, I mean... 
Um, I can't really think of a conspiracy theory that I believe in like right now, but I definitely am sometimes a bit, um, for example, if it's like, I do believe in Murphy's law, for example. Ah. And that's something that is not always scientifically proven, you know? <laughs> yeah, no. And sometimes it doesn't, sometimes it goes wrong as well. <laughs> Murphy's law. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, because the Murphy's law is that if if something can go wrong, it will go wrong. It will go wrong. And that applies also to Murphy's law. I think that's fine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so what what do you uh, do you guys think? Like is there any I was wondering what my conspiracy theory is. I'm I'm sure he's right. Uh, I do feel sometimes that my computer is conspiring against me <laughs> and do, do things that I don't want it to do, but uh, yeah. No, I, I'm not sure, really. I mean, I am wondering, um, as I said before, if there are already clones outside of uh, <laughs> wandering around. <laughs> so that could also be a conspiracy, of course. Yeah. But I'm not like I'm. I'm not believing in it. I'm like it could be, but I'm not saying it is. No, no, right. I, I think Facebook is conspiring against us at the moment. Against the that, SP, that, yeah. Must be true. <laughs> they, yes, yes. No, I, I'm very critical when it comes to conspiracy theories, and I don't believe. That that massive conspiracies can be pulled off. I'm really skeptical about these big-scale things. And even though we have a government here absolutely ready to do anything against us, I mean, their critics and and uh, the, the opposition, I don't think that they are so skilled and they are skilled enough and they are talented enough to pull it all off as a massive conspiracy. Yeah. They can build on, on people's gullibility. They can uh, build on people's psychological traits that that will determine how they will react to certain political agendas. That can be done, but it's not a conspiracy. It's just being a massive dick who exploits all that. It's, it's <laughs> I mean, different. There's no, there's no doubt. There's no doubt that there are conspiracies. Yeah, or were, uh, like I mean, there are yeah. real conspiracies. Yeah, happens. that's right. We that's know right. that. That's right. That, that, that when we talk about conspiracy theories, we talk about those big ones that would involve hundreds of thousands or even millions of people yeah. trying to achieve something by pulling the blanket over everybody on Earth. Yeah, that that's the kind of conspiracy theories. I don't think I believe in any of those. No, me neither. Anyone who ever tried to organize like a surprise party with with twenty uh, invitations will know that conspiracies can't exist. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's almost impossible. Yeah, right. But if you pull it off, it is a real conspiracy. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I'm a, a big believer in uh, Hanlon's razor. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Which is? Which says that uh, do not attribute to malice, which can be explained by stupidity. There are several different paraphrases of that, but I I am all in favor of believing that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Incompetence is much more yeah. common than big conspiracies, I think. Yeah. <laughs> and occasionally just good old luck. Yeah. So some people just get lucky, unfortunately. Mm. <laughs> all right. So can I go back to Israel? I mean, I, I haven't been to, but um, I, I would love to. <laughs> right. Of course. One day I will definitely go. So there is a video that has been circulating online on uh, different um, social media outlets. And the footage shows a man lying on the ground in a hospital environment. And the claim is that the guy died right after getting the COVID-19 vaccine. And Reuters and their fact checkers try to, to find out if that was true. Well, Obviously, it's a massive red flag when something like this is circulating online. But it turns out that it was a young man and um, he did not actually die. He fainted in the hospital and uh, he was taken care of. And soon after having been taken care of, he was released to his home. <laughs> <laughs> and even... His uh, wife uh, said that it was all okay and he fainted because he was afraid, but he that he did recover very quickly after that. So this one didn't make it to 
those social media shares, unfortunately. Hmm. Uh, so Sorry, the only no. thing that made it was the footage, the little bit more than one minute long footage of the man lying on the floor and other people's helping him. So why I wanted to, to, to mention this is because it's exactly the kind of stories that make people distrust the system and th- believe absolutely weird shit about the COVID-19 vaccine situation. Yeah. A lot of things could be the cause of this, but it's almost impossible to say with any level of certainty that it had anything to do with the COVID-19 vaccination. And especially it was right after that. So it could not have been an actual allergic reaction that was claimed in the original post. Right. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, it's it's happened before as well. We've seen similar videos before. And in all cases, it's been... Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Some people pass out when they get a shot. That That's even... I don't. It doesn't matter what's in the shot. Really. Yeah, and they are uh, fine afterwards. But what what uh, Reuters did with fact checking this, other peoples could have done that too, because on on the Israeli news outlets did report on that that the man's wife did mention that he he occasionally does that. Yeah. So <laughs> fuck off. Yeah. Okay. Let's go to the UK. Okay. We have talked about preprints before the practice of publishing research documents before yeah. they have been peer reviewed and this discussion took off very much last year because of the pandemic and we wanted to get data out fast uh, but on the other hand it's a risk because you may get out ideas in scientific papers quote unquote that turn out not to be true because they haven't been checked uh, enough Uh, so here's an example of how things went wrong there was a paper published in the lancet no less on 21st of january this year uh, and it has it did receive a lot of attention for claiming that vitamin d would give some protection against covid19 80% reduction, no less, in the need for ICU and 60% reduction in deaths. And if that was true, it would be very important uh, and we would all want to know about this. It would be such an easy solution, wouldn't it? Yes, yeah, give me some (laughs) vitamin D, please. Just go to the sunlight. (laughs) Yeah. Hang on, not so fast. David Davis, uh, MP of the UK, he tweeted about the paper and... uh, that a tweet got, was retweeted tens of thousands of times. So the, so the message it got out there, vitamin D is very good. Mm-hmm. It's just one problem. The Lancet has just taken down the paper again. And the problem seems to be with the, the randomization of the, of the study. There was some question about the lack of placebo arm in the study. Uh, there were other unclarities, like if they had registered this study properly before they started. And also there were some ethical considerations uh, in how it was conducted. So, so it was a shady study. And the takeaway for now is that we have no idea if this study actually means anything. And we are waiting for The Lancet to conduct an investigation about the whole thing. And in the meanwhile, lots of people uh, have now gotten the impression that vitamin D helps against covid and of course, everybody who's producing and selling vitamin D supplements are, are trying to propagate this uh, idea. And But as, as it looks now, we just don't know yet. Uh, maybe it does, maybe it doesn't. Uh, my bet would be, like you said, Anders, it, that would be too simple. Probably is not that. But let's see what they, they find out when they really look into this study. Yeah, something like this being simple is not necessarily something that means that it, it, it cannot be true. It's just uh, that we have to be cautious with the results. It's a little bit of wishful thinking, I think. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Mm. Exactly. Mm. And a bit of conspiratorial thinking as well. Uh-huh. Because then it can mean that <laughs> there is an easy solution and they don't want you to try that. They, the mysterious they don't want you to know it. I call conspiracy here. <laughs> yeah, right. Led by the Lancet. Yeah, right. Retraction Watch, uh, which is an excellent website. And they keep track of these things, how papers are They're being... part of the conspiracy. Yeah, they're <laughs> part of the conspiracy. But they added a dry copy at the end of their report about this uh, retraction, which I I want to quote. This is the 85th paper about COVID-19 that have been retracted or withdrawn according to our records, end quote. (laughs) So 
There's a lot of bad studies out there, and uh, this may be one of them. Yeah, and that's only the ones that have been removed or retracted. So far, yeah. So far, and there might be lots of others that are absolutely crap, but uh, they haven't been retracted yet. So, (laughs) all right. But if you want to make a decision of whether to vaccinate or not, you need to get the right kind of basis for your decision right you have to you have to base your decision on uh, reliable evidence and fact so a little bit of help can come in handy right and this is what the health literacy network germany did the german network health competence project and um, fortunately for me at least they published some of their material in english as well (laughs) Thank you very much for that. <laughs> and uh, they uh, published something that is called the COVID Cube. And that's uh, some people, especially in corporate environments, might know uh, the decision-making cube uh, that have this and has different sides. And uh, let's, let's all consider all the different aspects of a certain situation. So this is what this is all about. The decision-making cube does bring about a lot of answers to the questions. It's like a massive FAQ. So uh, there are different things like um, how uh, how does herd immunity work, uh, what the, the potential side effects are, what the disease is all about and what science knows about the disease, uh, what the alternatives are when it comes to uh, tackling the pandemic, and how well am I protected as an individual and what the risk factors are. So all in all, if you read through all that, and you want to know the different aspects of the situation, uh, you will find a lot of information based on reliable, current reliable evidence. I think it's very well put together. The questions are being answered in a very simple and easy to understand way. So I think it can be used by anyone. Unfortunately, the, the, the cube itself is not translated into English, but the side material, that is the promotional material, is. And their website has English content as well, but unfortunately not the, the COVID uh, cube as of yet, at least. Mm-hmm. But still, I think it's a very good initiative that should be followed by many. Yeah, and something that also should be followed by many is that homeopathy is having a hard time in um, in a lot of uh, different countries. Good. So let's have a round of applause <laughs> for that. Right. Well done. Which country did it this time? Austria. Austria. Because... Um, it was like first the NHS uh, stopped reimbursing homeopathy in 18, then um, France followed. In Germany, there was a huge media coverage co- because of the legal action against Natalie Grams. And yeah, now Austria is, is next. Mm-hmm. Apparently, there was a secret webinar in Vienna for um, so-called alternative medicine because they are totally afraid of losing homeopathy in the medical field themselves so they had a secret webinar about that so you can you can imagine how how bad the situation is yet another conspiracy in the making yeah exactly (laughs) and we can we can just say like austria please hang on please please continue uh, doing that please don't let any motions coming through of putting homeopathy into the health system because it doesn't belong there mm-hmm. well done very good well done very good we keep uh, our fingers crossed because that's what we skeptics do <laughs> 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 all right there was an interesting study done by the university of cambridge that looked into whether cognitive disposition differences in how information is perceived and processed how that influenced ideological worldviews such as political, nationalistic and dogmatic beliefs. And the researchers say that they found that performing poorly on complex mental tasks predicted having extreme attitudes, being an extremist, that is. And uh, it did so even when controlling for traditional demographic factors like age and race and gender. And from the abstract, they said, and I quote, These findings suggest that ideological worldviews may be reflective of low-level perceptual and cognitive functions, end quote. So what they did was they looked at data from over uh, 330 US-based participants, that was aged 22 to 63, and the tests for the participants uh, looked into how quickly and in what way they solved different neutral tasks and also how extreme their views were, of course. 
A key finding was that people with extremist attitudes tended to think about the world in black and white uh, and struggled with complex tasks uh, that required uh, intricate mental steps, as they put it in the in the report. One of the researchers said, quote, individuals or brains that struggle to process and plan complex action sequences may be more drawn to extreme ideologies or authoritarian ideologies that simplify the world. So that's interesting. Can we now say that extremists are more stupid than others? The reporting <laughs> of the study seems to want to give us that impression. And I'm saying... Hold on. <laughs> well, maybe, but I'm not so sure about that. I, I would be very careful in jumping to conclusions for, for, and for a couple of reasons. First of all, this is just one study. Uh, it it could be a fluke, a statistical coincidence. Yeah, and we need to have this replicated and other stu studies uh, done to support this. Secondly, it was built on data that was collected for previous research. Uh, and that is always risky and can be a confounding factor. The, the questions wasn't put together for this study. They just took it uh, and, and reinterpreted it uh, for their purposes. And thirdly, we have seen similar claims before, which of course could lean towards that. It's true, but I, I believe there was one news item several years ago that claimed that religious people are more stupid than atheists. Yeah, and that was sounds familiar. A very rightly challenged for not being conclusive enough. I don't think that's that simple. Yeah. And lastly, and perhaps most importantly, um, this is what you want to think, right? Mm -hmm. uh, this is when you have to be most skeptical. When, when things seem to confirm your preconceived notions, it would be very nice to think that all the extremist people are, are just stupid and we are smarter than them, blah, yada, yada, yada. But that's just confirmation bias and uh, wishful thinking. And uh, you should be very, very skeptical when you hear things that you want to be true or you think you already know is true. So uh, uh, don't pass just judgment uh, just yet. Yeah. yeah, and also if somebody is not able to do complex mental tasks, that only tells us that they are not able to do complex mental tasks. Like yeah, yeah. it's not telling us anything about the person. <laughs> It did seem to show a correlation between extremist views and being unable to or a little less efficient on doing complex tasks. But there might be other things behind this that we don't know. Yeah, exactly. Right. And to better news, there's a new book out about fake medicine <laughs> called Fake Medicine, Falsche Heilversprechen, Skrupelloser Ärzte und Gerissener Gurus. <laughs> Hello. It's Of course, German, as you might have guessed. Um, <laughs> and it was written by Christian Kreil. <laughs> That could have been bad-mouthing my mom and it would still love it. <laughs> <laughs> these, these are the kind of statements that get us banned from Facebook, I think. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yes, <laughs> it's about um, GPs and medical staff who are unethically working with so-called alternative medicine. It's about healing practitioners abusing desperate patients and about people and procedures in so-called alternative medicine. And it also contains a call to action for politicians, for medical doctors, pharmacies and universities to be more decisive about the whole topic. Mm -hmm. So if you're German or understand German, give it a read. It sounds really interesting. Mm. Yeah, cool. You're not talking to me then, Ray, <laughs> unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> all right. But this has been all the news that we had prepared for our listeners this week, which means we are moving on to finding out who's been really wrong lately. Right, so I guess by now you all know who's been really wrong. There is no contest uh, this week. <laughs> the name of our bloody webpage is the European Skeptics Podcast. <laughs> How can we be an Australian news outlet? Some, we do. We've just, we just claimed to have uh, pr presented a lot of news here, but very little to do with Australia. The URL of our webpage has the .eu top domain, which means <laughs> Europe. So, <laughs> Which means Australia. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Surprise. <laughs> 
I, I think I, I don't know exactly what's behind this feud between uh, Facebook and Australia. My very simplified um, version of it was that Rupert Murdoch wanted to get paid for from Facebook everybody every time somebody shared articles from any of his um, papers, mm. which uh, I can understand he makes that claim, but it's, he wants to get even richer than he is. But that's stupid. But I think uh, Facebook's response to that uh, was even more stupid because everybody got very angry with them, not just us, but especially me, of course, when I couldn't post on our own <laughs> Facebook page. <laughs> and uh, the other thing as well, we have talked about Facebook doing things in the past, trying to, to weed out conspiracy theories, misinformation, etc. I think they should be able to do that. That's not my point. But if you do it, if you're hit by a ban like we are at the moment, there is nowhere to complain. Yeah. There is nowhere where we can contact Facebook and say, hey, we believe you've made a mistake. We are the European Skeptics Podcast. <laughs> There's no place to do that. Uh, and that is stupid and really beyond uh, anything. They, they, they need to give us a chance to tell them, hey, come on, we're a, we're a podcast about Europe. We don't talk about Australia very much and we're definitely not a news outlet owned by Rupert Murdoch <laughs> yeah uh, not yet anyway we take any bitters though <laughs> <laughs> it's high enough <laughs> so for banning all Australian news and being so clumsy at it that you include the European Skeptics podcast <laughs> plus not informing people who like us was obviously banned for no reason at all how to complain how to contact them for a correction facebook gets today's prize for being really wrong very well deserved <laughs> it is well deserved again <laughs> all right thank you very much and that marks almost the end of the show but as usual before we go i'd like to share a quote with our listeners <laughs> And the quote is from someone who celebrates his birthday this week. Another choice for weekend skepticism. <laughs> yes, that's correct. <laughs> yeah, busy week. Mm -hmm. And he's a British mentalist, illusionist, painter and author, Darren Brown. Mm -hmm. And what he said is, Science is unusual in that it is cumulative. It is a system built over time, wherein useful information is retained and ideas that simply don't stand up are discarded based on the confirmation of knowledge through testing. Yeah. I think it's a good enough right. explanation of what science does. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it's pretty much also the standing on the, on the shoulders of giants, right? It's like... Right. Yeah. In other words. Yeah. yeah. And it's also a perfect thing to bring up when people say, well, science doesn't know everything, so my quantum theory is true. Yeah. Well, science doesn't know everything, but it knows damn lot because it's built and built and built and built over time. And yes... Doesn't know everything, but that doesn't mean it knows nothing. Yeah, and as uh, Dara O'Brien put it, science doesn't know uh, know everything, but it does know that it doesn't know everything. Yeah. <laughs> Otherwise, it would stop. Otherwise, it would stop. Right. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Right. So, yeah. Yes. That's right. And on that note, I would like to thank both of you, Annika and Pontus, for joining me this week. Thanks a lot. Thank you. I'd like to thank our listeners as well, of course, for tuning in. Please keep doing so and spread the word. And until next week, goodbye. Tschüss. Hello. Hello, da Wieslat. This has been your ESP experience. The show is produced and recorded by the ESP.eu. Join us again next time, but until then, please send your feedback, comments, or death threats to info at theesp.eu. We would also love to hear your ideas and suggestions regarding future episodes, as well as news from your country of residence that might interest others across the continent. If you have a local event or organization to promote, please don't hesitate to let us know, as we are more than happy to help. All music in the program was written and performed by Keisha J. Gray and George Shrub and is used with their permission. Please check out our webpage at theesp.eu 
follow us on Twitter at espodcast underscore eu and like us on Facebook. I don't know how you can believe. So you want to base your decision on scientific facts and proper results and, and proper reliable evidence. Oops. <laughs> Somebody doesn't think your uh, statements are reliable, Ambrose. No, no, no. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I object. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and rightly so. Okay. So did you, did you just have half her taken away? Yeah. Nice. Get rid of her. Yeah. It's just like if she cries and doesn't doesn't calm down on the uh, like while feeding, then she's just grumpy, and then I like why should I carry her around? Okay. So we're recording. <laughs> yeah. Frequently asked questions. It's a ma- massive fuck you. Um, fuck you. It's a, no. No. Sorry. No. <laughs> how, how do you say that? How do you? <laughs> FAQ. FAQ. So the massive fucking massive massive fucking. All right. So.